This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Today I'm talking with Nicole, whose husband was killed in the line of duty in 2009 in Oakland, California. Nicole is going to walk us through the beautiful story of how they met, but then she's going to share the heartbreaking story of that fateful day. Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Can you start out with telling us how you and Irvin met? I can. Um, I love this story. Um, For years, I've got to work... um, with the Oakland Police Department and helping out doing um, physical therapy, massage therapy, when they would have these competitions out of the area where they were very, you know, grueling doing 50, 100 mile competitions. People are getting dehydrated, muscle fatigue, um, SWAT doctors on staff for all these different departments because they're pretty grueling. Um, So I got to work doing basically massage therapy, physical therapy to help um, many of those years. And um, for several years, I had been there and never got to meet this Irvin Romans because of, for whatever reason, we just kept passing and never got to meet him or even see who he was. And then another year would pass and, he actually got hurt at a competition and fell off the roof and broke his wrists. And so that year I didn't get to meet him because they took him away. And then the following year, just because of complications, um, he wasn't coming back to that particular swamp competition. Um, but, you know, I, j- I kept hearing about him and, you know, I knew that he was somebody, I, you know, and it was never like a big deal. It was just, you know, you know, by chance and didn't get to meet this guy. So, um, the particular day I finally get to meet him, it was um, last day we were doing cleanup. And then um, I had went to the local store and got a whole bunch of stuff to bring back because, you know, these, these guys are powering it out every day. And I just thought it would be cool to make like this big luncheon for them. And being, I was the only female that was part of the team, you know, to do this portion. So, you know, it was kind of like that mommy thing. (laughs) that I always do to everybody having mm-hmm. kids. 
and um, came back and made this huge taco bar and bought all this candy and stuff. And I had told a lot of the guys, hey, I don't care what you guys eat. This is all free for all. Just nobody touch my licorice. <laughs> and so next thing I know, this, um, this one guy walks by because it's kind of like a, it was like double doors that in this open room area of the hotel um, convention portion um, that we had our, not a convention portion, but the hotel portion, but we had double doors. And so people can kind of like walk by to the other, you know, rooms that they needed to get into whoever they were looking for. And so this guy walked by and he stopped and kind of back walked and <laughs> looked, you know, peered his head and he's like, Hey, and I go, Hey, hello. And then I could see he was wearing, you know, a uniform. I'm like, well, who are you? He's like, Oh, I'm, you know, Romans. And I'm like, you're who? And he was like, Rrr. and I'm like, what is your name? And he was saying Irv, but I've only heard him as Irvin. So I wasn't getting that connection of how he was saying Irv. And I go, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Come on in. I've, you know, got a whole bunch of food and stuff. And next thing I know, I turn around and he's sitting there on the couch eating my licorice. (laughs) And I said, hey, everybody obviously got the message, but you. And it just started conversation because to me, it was actually funny that I'm sitting here, you know, shaking my finger at a SWAT guy for eating my licorice, you know, but um, we just start having a conversation and he's like, so you're here to do what? And I go, yeah, we're doing the physical therapy and massage therapy. He goes, oh yeah, I've never got one. And I go, no, I, a few people haven't, but you're one of the guys who hadn't. And I go, well, I guess maybe next year, because I was already packing up. Literally, most all my stuff was in the car. I had just finished up the food, and I was getting ready to head out. Um, I get out to my – and so, I, you know, we talked for a little bit, nothing long-term or anything. But the part of when he walked by the front door and then walked backwards to look back into the room, Mm -hmm. I looked at him, and I thought, Oh my God, I've missed you. That was the feeling. It wasn't a love at first sight. It wasn't like, you know, oh damn, who was the, you know, who was that guy? Uh It was, I literally felt something in my chest that made me feel like I missed him. And so um, I just, you know, never thought twice because again, it was something I hadn't felt before. So I didn't know, you know, why I was had that reaction, but, you know, sitting there talking to him, I was, you know, just normal. Um, I grew up with brothers. I grew up with brothers in law enforcement, um, brother-in-laws. So being around these officers was no big deal to me. They were just like another one of the guys. So I kind of felt like that with all of them. They were my buds, my brothers. Um, so I, I tell him goodbye. We, I take off to go try to get into my car. And for whatever reason, my car would not start. And I'm like, really, this is great. So I, you know, contacted one of my other friends who I was, you know, truly better friends with, because of course I had his number. And I said, I cannot get my car started. And we're up in Tahoe. And um, he goes, well, go find Irv, go find Irv. He's, he was a mechanic in the military. <laughs> he's, a, he's the closest person that we have to being a mechanic. <laughs> and I go, I don't have his number. And he goes, well, you'll have to just go find him. So literally I chomped around up there in, um, that hotel, you know, looking for him, asking everybody to find him. And eventually, you know, with me asking everybody, he finally walks out and said, Hey, I heard you're looking for me. And he had like this big smile, you know, cocky, confident smile on his face. Mm -hmm. Like I was like looking for him. And I'm like, 
yeah, I need you to check, you know, my engine. I don't know why I can't get my car started. Opens up the hood and tinker, tinker, something, something. And next thing I know, my car starts. So I have no clue what it was. And um, I just, again, I just thanked him. Nothing major. I just, you know, appreciated his help and, you know, getting me to get down the hill (laughs) so I can get home. Right. Um, Probably about two to three weeks later, I was going down and I lived in Sacramento at the time. So I was um, going down to friends' homes who were doing a really cool backyard party for their friends. And myself and two of my other um, friends who did massage therapy, we went to their home and we set up cabanas in the backyard and we did massage therapy under these really cool, they did the whole backyard tiki Hawaiian style um, and I was heading down a little early because I knew I had a setup. And at the time, I did have a um, a setup within a you know gym at the one of the local you know gyms there. So I had you know other girls that worked there at the um, the gym doing massage therapy under my basically company. So mm-hmm. hired them I'm like, hey, we're going to go down and do this event. So everybody was on board. I got there like I said a little early. But literally, as I was um, taking the exit to go to my friend's home, they're calling me to tell me that their son, who had just left for college a few weeks ahead of that, um, out of state, his appendix ruptured. They were, and he was really super sick. It wasn't, you know, something that they caught fast enough. And so they were so concerned that they literally, you know, called as many of their friends to cancel the party. They were just canceling me, letting me know they're they apologize, but um, they were literally going to head out to the airport, jump on a plane. And so no big deal. I totally understand. I've, I had kids too. So of course I'm going to jump as well. So I'm hanging up with them and now I'm in Danville, California, because I just drove from Sacramento to get all the way down there. Right. I hang up with them and then I'm getting a really weird 510 area code calling my phone, didn't know the number, but my friends in Danville had a 510, so I thought maybe they're calling me from a different phone number. And so I answer it, and he's like, hey, it's it's Irv. And I go, who? <laughs> Irv, Irv, Irvin Romans. And I go, hey, what's going on? He goes, Aww. you know, I never got to get that massage, and I was just wondering, you know, if you're ever going to be in the Bay Area, would you be able to come, you know, or I can come up to your location at the gym and um, and I started laughing and he goes, is something funny? And I just, I mean, I totally remember. He's like, is something funny? I go, no, I'm just actually down in the Bay Area. And I've got my table with me because I just got canceled out from doing an event. Where do you live? And he goes, well, I live in Danville. And I go, huh, I'm actually in Danville. He goes, wow. And I go, I'm on the freeway. So what exit are you? He goes, I'm Sycamore. And I literally was coming up to that ramp. I wow. swear I would have went... 20 more yards, I would have had passed it. And so I literally swerve off the the highway to take the Sycamore exit. And I go, okay, so let me pull over because I'm literally at Sycamore. He goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean like today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you ask and you shall receive because I don't know when I'm going to be back in the Bay Area again. Or like I said, you can come up um, to the gym location. And he goes, well, 
yeah, um, just pull over at that gas station, blah, blah, blah. And let me call you back in just a few minutes because um, knowing him, he was probably needs to clean up his house. Or I think at the time it was, you know, just tell his kids that somebody was coming over. So he calls me literally right back and I get the address and I go to the place. And, you know, I've been doing massage therapy at that time for many years. I've done in-home, I, you know, do corporate. I had many businesses that I, you know, um, go to and um, of course work with my the chiropractors and physical therapists. So, you know, going to someone's home, it's never been a big deal. And then obviously I had already met him. He's a cop, you know, not worried or, you know, feel awkward at all. Cause like I said, it's something normal. Mm-hmm. It was when I walked in with my massage table in a Hawaiian print tiki, (laughs) you know, shirt and shorts, because again, it was an outside, you know, outside event that his teenage daughter is sitting there staring at me just like, hmm, okay, (laughs) and what are you here to do? And I go, yeah, I'm here to do massage therapy for your dad. And she's, oh yeah, he just told me. But it was just her look. It was just that typical teenager giving me side eye. And I just thought again, how funny, because of course I have a teenager and, you know, it just was like, it's kind of funny just getting their reaction. Anyway, here's the best part. Um, I set up to do the massage and he's on the table. I don't even think for one minute and his pager goes off and he's a SWAT team member. So he goes, I have to check this page. And of course, this is when we people had pagers. Mm-hmm. And I said, no big deal. He's like, can you hand that to me? I give it to him. He goes, yeah, I need my phone now. So I now I hand him his phone and he calls and he goes, seriously? All right, no problem. He hangs up. He goes, I am so sorry. We just got a SWAT call. I have to go. And so I said, no big deal. Um, Like I said, I was already in the area. And seriously, it was like no big deal. So um, he gets off the table. I literally don't get the sheets folded up and put back into the bag when he comes back into the room and says, the SWAT call got canceled. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. No problem. Let's try this again. So literally, we try this again. So finally, I'm able to do the massage. It's no big deal. And um, I'm probably just finished or was just about, you know, about 45 minutes into the massage. And his text goes off again. And her pager goes off again. He calls again. It's a SWAT call. Same thing. So now he's up, you know, gets dressed, whatever. And I'm completely packed. Stuff's in the car. And I think I had gotten about three or four exits down the highway heading home where he's calling me back and asks if I want to go have lunch with him. <laughs> so that literally this, was, this that. is, is this yeah. 2005 at this point? Yes, this okay. is 2005. Okay. So um, we go and have lunch at this little Mexican patina in the Danville area. And from what I had heard, he's not like a very, um, I should say not spontaneous, not, you know, super loud, other than his voice can be super loud, but he's not like, you know, one of those show kind of guys, like, look at me, look at me. Um, Very confident, but never braggy or boasting, you know, like who he is. Um, We're talking about a guy who was maybe five foot seven and a half in his boots, but he was a Marine. So he had a great statue about his confidence that way, but he was never cocky or show off. 
So when I went to say yes to have lunch with them, I was expecting more of not a timid person, but somebody to, you know, not be, and he wasn't aggressive. I don't even know the right wording to say, but <laughs> I went, when I got my food and we, we sat down at the table, he sat next to me in the booth and it was a booth. He could have sat across from me. Right. So all of a sudden, now I've got this warm, fuzzy blood thing happening in my veins. And I'm like, Aww. oh, my God, why am I feeling like this? I don't need this in my life right now. Aww. I like being single. I just want to be single. And, you know, I kept telling myself, I know when I got my stuff together, you know, the right thing will happen in my life because that's just how I am. But it must have just been that time because... From that moment, um, it was just very powerful and real and genuine. And, you know, I know when something is new, everything's always amazing and great and exciting. And that's how it should be. But I had that with him to the intensity of that same thing I have to go back to was this is familiar. This is something that. I feel safe. This is something that I have not had with someone I've dated in the past. Not that um, feeling of, I'm okay with you. Like, I don't have to like, in my head go, what's wrong? What issues are some, you know, something's going to come up because you were divorced. What, you know, baggage are you holding on to? I've got kids, you know, are you going to be worrying about, you know, my, you know, baby daddy and all those things, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. people relationships with people. And it was never that. It just, again, it's like, gosh, you know, if I could go back and like, did I meet you in my teen years? Why do I feel like I know you so well? And we were finishing sentences of each other sitting there having that lunch. And again, one of those things I had never had in my life with someone. So again, thought it was really super cool. But again, I'm trying to play it cool with this guy who's playing it very cool. <laughs> and we we walked to the car and I got a sweet kiss on my cheek. And I, he said, I definitely want to see you again. And I said, of course. Well, that ended up being like the next day. <laughs> I ended up seeing him again. <laughs> and um, my um, friends who had had me not do their massage party event asked me to come house sit and dog sit because they couldn't find anybody last minute for their dog. So their poor dog at that point almost went like 20 hours without food or something. And so of course I went back down there and I let Irvin know I was coming back down there. And so that's how I got to, you know, see him, you know, so soon again. And I think we just did the back and forth thing from Sacramento to the Bay, you know, so many times, so many times. So this is the other cool thing. My girlfriend was having her, 30th birthday party and she was having this all white party you know when people do the all white outfits and stuff and so I had asked Irvin to go with me and he said of course let's let's do that and um that was probably like a whole 10 days before her party and he said of course so I said well make sure you go have something to wear and he's like, I'm not wearing white pants. Guys do not wear white pants. <laughs> I said, no problem. Wear whatever color. So he found a white shirt. And then I don't know what it was, but there was just something that just kept tugging on both of us because as much as I was feeling like I don't ever want to not be with this person, he was saying and feeling the same thing. And we decided to go to Tahoe about 
four days before our friend's white party. And we went up and spent a day or two up there. And we came back home and um, we had talked about up in Tahoe, like, I, I want to like be with you. I want to like be with you, be with you. Forever. And for, yeah. And, but not like say mar- we weren't saying marriage, but it was just like, okay, let's just be boyfriend, girlfriend. And again, those words didn't come out, <laughs> but that's kind of, you know, what we meant because we were too big, you know, too grown to say boyfriend, girlfriend. So <laughs> I want to be with you. So we, um, we leave Tahoe and had already talked about this. Uh, my girlfriend's party wasn't until later that evening, like I think a silly 8 p.m. start time. And um, we literally said, let's go get married. It was Saturday. And it was the same day of my girlfriend's party. And he's like, we're, we're going to go get married. He called his best friend. I called my best friend. They were both blown away but they got into the cars. <laughs> I, I, I had my car and he had his car. And the reason that we drove separately was my best friend drove with him and his best friend drove with me. And those two had talked because actually had, they had already met just within those, that time frame of us meeting, we had already, they had already met and they thought we were both crazy as can be. <laughs> and his buddy tried to not talk me out of it, but he was asking me questions and he was asking me serious questions and was, this is for real. Like you, you can't just do this. This is like a real paper you're going to get. And my girlfriend saying, you know, Nikki's already been hurt. She's been through this kind of stuff. And, you know, she's just one of these that will give you everything if you are good to her, you know? So he, you know, they both got out the cars and he tells Irvin, yeah, I totally support this. And Aww. she tells me, I, I'm standing by your side. And um, we, and my girlfriend, best friend is a photographer by chance. So all that, it just like worked out that I had the most gorgeous pictures from literally a spur of the moment moment of Aww. us. And um, literally had, <laughs> you know, got up and was able to get the license and do all that. And we literally got married 24 days later after meeting I got the most amazing three and a half years of something truly, truly amazing. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I can always look back and say, God, that was so crazy, but it was the best decision I had ever made in my life. Just to truly get that love from somebody that, you know, having a knight in shining armor, people only wish they could have that. I mean, this man was that and much more. And then to blend with him and two kids and with me and two kids, we both had a boy and a girl. And for our children to just instantly connect with each other, like they were brothers and sisters. I think it was his kids needed a mom and my kids needed a dad. And there's this amazing man and a woman who could come together to give those kids also something which made him just love me more and made me, um, just look at him in just such a different light because I, again, I didn't have it and he didn't have it either. And so we brought a family together so instant that, that needed each other. And to this day, those, those kids are my heart and soul, his children. And um, it, yeah. That it's, is such a sweet story, Nicole. Yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> and it just is no. something I, I will always forever miss to know what, what more could have happened. You know, right. what we have done as a family. 
Now I read, I read your story in, um, in the book that was written by retired law enforcement officer, Donna Brown. The book is called beyond, I'm sorry, behind and beyond the badge. And you told her your story and, and I read that, but hearing you tell that Mm -hmm. with your own words is, was so much, so much better. I loved it. Thank you. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, we're going to take just a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to Nicole tell us the story of what happened on that fateful day, March 21st, 2009. We'll be right back. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. We're back with Nicole. So Nicole, this is gonna be super hard for you to tell, and it's going to be hard for the listeners to listen. Um, But since this is National Police Week, I think it's important. So tell us what happened to your husband on March 21st, 2009. March 21st, 2009, four, actually five Oakland police officers were shot by one, one, one guy. It started with them two motor officers being shot and the guy was able to take off and run. When the SWAT team arrived, this guy was able to shoot three more, killing two of those officers on the SWAT team. And one of them was my Irvin. Um, That day started so incredibly different than any day in my life because it started out like a dream and nothing had even happened yet. So um, I feel like I always need to shed a little bit of light about myself as well, Tamara. I am very, very spiritual. I've had a lot of things happen in my life spiritually that I can only say is something from God giving some light to me when things happen. And um, it was one of those days and not knowing it not knowing it. And um, I woke up in this amazing mood to my husband who had not been home because of Oakland, California. He had not probably had a day off in 12 or 
13 days at that point. It was crazy. And he was waking up, enjoying that he got to sleep in that morning. And that's a very rare thing for him to be able just to lay in bed and not, you know, have a care in the world. Um, I got up that morning to make him breakfast. And he um, had got breakfast in bed even. Like, that's how excited I was just to have him home. Not that I wouldn't have probably done that for my husband, but, you know, we're already three and a half years now. And, um, but it was just, you know, like I said, it was just a feeling. So he calls me back up and I'm thinking he's done with his breakfast meal. And he, um, he's like, you know, calling me, I can hear him. I'm like, I'm all right. All right. I'm coming upstairs. I hear you. He's like, no, I wanted you to hurry up. (laughs) He's like, look at this video. And so the TV's on and it's this beautiful white cloudy visioning on the TV and it's um, Beyonce and it's a brand new video called Halo. And he's like, look at this, look how beautiful this video is. Now I look at my husband and I go, Irvin, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Because first of all, I didn't even know he knew who Beyonce was. (laughs) He was more of a country rock and roll kind of guy. And um, Beyonce was very new to having solo career um, at that time, but had already had, you know, album out. Um, So again, I wasn't expecting him that, but as I'm looking at this video, I'm very mesmerized by it and it was beautiful. It was so angelic and, you know, I see how she's looking at this other guy and this other guy in the video and the way he's looking at her and he goes, that's, that's you and that's me, you know, and I, like look at her she that that's like that's you and now I'm looking at him again I'm like honey that's very sweet and I'm like almost laughing at him because again that's just not how he talks at all not that he's not romantic or sweet with me but just the him looking at it, I could see like starry eyes with him oh. and I said oh, all right babe you are so sweet and you know I was thinking mm-hmm, you must want me to come stay up in the bedroom with him or something because <laughs> All right, sweetie, you're putting it on pretty thick. But, um, I, you know, I end up taking his stuff and I go downstairs and he, you know, he's downstairs now and he's like, hey, hon, let's, let's go to the mall. Let's go to the outside. Let's go to that outside mall in uh, Walnut Creek. Well, now I'm, I almost exorcist head turn around to look at him because Irvin Romans and mall do not equal anything ever in the same sentence. I don't think he had been to the mall maybe once And that's because we had to find him something, you know, not because, you know, he really wanted to go. And so I go, are you okay? He goes, you know what? I just, I feel good. It's just a good day. I don't know if I got enough. I got, I obviously got enough sleep. And so he goes, let's, let's get Justin. And that, at that time, only Justin was home. He was our, um, out of the four, he was the third, um, third in that group. And um, my daughter, Kimberly, the oldest was out of the country. She was going to be trying to study abroad, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working out. So her and her then-time boyfriend had made it to New Zealand because um, she was going to be in London for school. And they had made it back to New Zealand. And then within a, a day or two, they were going to head back to the States. Um, Christina, our second oldest, had just moved out on her own. And Justin 
high schooler was with us and Cameron was um, normally with us, but he was visiting his dad that day. Um, actually, he was with my sister that day. Sorry, he was with my sister up in Sacramento that day. Um, so it was just Justin, Irvin and I. So I'm like, hey, Justin, your dad wants to go to the mall. <laughs> so why don't you get dressed because you're never going to hear this again. So make <laughs> it quick. And so he, I mean, I can hear him getting dressed. And then Irv is like, hey, let's, while he's getting dressed, let's go up to um, the gym. I need to go get some protein powder. One of the guys called and said it was on sale. So we told Justin, we'll be back in 15 minutes because the gym was literally that close. For whatever reason, my husband thought, I guess, protein powder was going to be forever gone for the rest of our lifetime and bought like 20 gallon containers of protein <laughs> powder. So I literally had to have Justin come to the car to help us unload all this protein powder back into the house. And um, that's when Justin tells his dad, do you realize you left your pager and it's been going off like crazy? He's like, damn, I didn't even realize I didn't have it with me. Mm. Plus it's Irvin's day off. And so maybe he just wasn't being mindful, but SWAT team guys always have their stuff on them. So he is now hearing the pager beeping, but his cell phone's also ringing, but he goes towards the pager first. And he goes, I have 20 pages on here. And so he hurry up and goes and missed the phone ringing, but he redials the number because it was something obviously he knew. And now he's like total different voice. I almost felt like there was some energy that was draining out of him because of the way he walked away. Um, he went into a harder step. And I can just remember hearing him going back up the stairs as he was talking. And he says, you gotta be effing with the real word, kidding me. He's like, all right, all right, all right. And he comes back downstairs and he goes, we just had two motor officers shot execution style. He goes, I have to go. And I said, my God. Um, at this point, I, when I had been with him, um, I remember line of duty deaths out of the Oakland area because again, having friends with the Oakland PD and knowing them for so long. I remember when one of their officers was um, shot and killed unfortunately, by someone also on Oakland PD. And I remember how hard that was for them. And then right before this, there was a Richmond police officer that was killed in the line of duty in a car crash. So I remember my husband going to that funeral. I didn't go with him, but I just remember him going and that was um, Officer Brad Moody. Um, so I'm going like, oh my God, oh my God. All right, well, you know, you've had other SWAT, and I'm saying this in my head, I'm not saying this to him, and I'm thinking, well, he's had other SWAT calls, so he'll just, you know, go about business as usual, and my brothers were on the SWAT team, and, you know, I've, my, one of my brothers was actually hurt on duty, and again, even being married to an officer, I never worried, because though I had brothers on patrol and a brother-in-law at the time, and like I said, my brother actually getting hurt on um, patrol, he was okay, so there wasn't that, oh my God, something could happen to Irvin. Never once, never once did it come across my head because I don't like 
also putting bad things out either <laughs> into the universe. So I always was making sure that I said my prayers and I always sent him out in safety and things like that. So um, he took all his bag and I just see the trunk, you know, opening up on the Crown Vic and I'm watching him put all the SWAT gear that he had sitting by the door now going into the car and he slams the car door and he, um, trunk and he kind of just stands there and I see him take this deep breath and he comes into the house and he just gives me a quick kiss and, you know, I got to go, I got to go and I go, I know you do. And I said, be safe. Why I said be safe. I don't know. And what, for whatever reason, I walked out. And so, um, you know, after he gave me that kiss, I just, for whatever reason, followed him into the car. And I proceeded to kind of walk as the car was driving away. Um, at the time, we lived in a townhome complex. So, you know, each place was still individual. So we had a long drive down this corridor area or um, drive area. And I literally watched him and I, next thing I know, I see the reverse lights come on to the car. He's, you know, so next thing I know he's backing up and I'm thinking, oh no, what did he forget? Well, he backed up literally to me. He gets out of the car. He hugs me so tight and gave me the best kiss on my lips. And he said, I love you and I'll see you soon. And, um, as he proceeded to leave, the lights go on on his car. And an hour and a half later, my husband was dead. And um, how I knew that was a few years back, my husband had went on this um, fishing trip up in Alaska with some one of the guys from OPD. And they got chased out of um, the area you know, actually one time off the river by bear. So he came back stating that I'm going to buy this Smith and Wesson. It was this huge barreled Swiss and we Smith and Wesson. And um, I'm going to buy one of these. I go, why do you need that? He goes, well, either I'm going to die in a rain of gunfire or I'm going to be shooting my way out with one of these bears and um, I got to be prepared. And I go, well, I don't like either of those scenarios. And he goes, you know, I, we never really, you know, talk about this stuff much. But, you know, all those times you would call and, you know, if I don't answer, you know, everything's all good because that means I'm working. I go, yeah. He goes, but honey, it's when they come to the door, I'm dead. And I said, seriously? He goes, yeah. It's just kind of like the protocol. And again, being on SWAT, being that he was on the crime reduction team with Oakland, meaning he's part of the squad that's jumping out on drug deals, going down and chasing guys, you know, it, he wasn't out writing parking lot tickets, you know, with what he was doing. So there was always that chance that something could happen. But, you know, there was just times I would call just to make sure like, hey, this is going on tomorrow. Do you think you're going to be off in time? Nothing like I'm checking in on you. It was just more about, hey, you know, you think you'll be home. Mm -hmm. The life of a police officer right. with, when you have family. Um, so an hour and a half later, one of the Oakland police officers who by chance is one of our neighbors. So again, someone who is a friend 
she is at my door and we had a clear glass door there. And I just knew <laughs> she was not coming over to chitty chat. I just instantly knew by her mannerisms that something had happened to Irvin. And I actually started screaming for Justin. Justin was 17 years old at the time. And I told him, come down here, come downstairs, come down here right now. And at the same time, this officer, um, Espinoza, was um, telling me to open the door. And I said, no. And she's like, open the door, Nikki. I need to talk to you. And I said, no. Because I knew if I opened that door, Tamara, she was going to tell me something that she could not take back. Mm -hmm. And I could never unhear. And um, as Justin's coming downstairs, I finally open it. And she's like, you have to get into the car with me right now. And I said, how bad is it? She goes, Nikki, just get into the car with me. So I told, you know, we had uh, um, dogs at the house. And I said, lock up, you know, the dogs. And we jump into her car and. What I didn't realize that she just only drove us down the street. Um, we get to the overpass, which is less than a half a mile from our home. And there are California Highway Patrol officers there with lights on. She's like, getting, we're getting into the car with them. She pulled her car over to the side. And um, she jumped in the front seat of CHP. Justin and I got in the back seat. And to this day, I do not know how we were not in a car crash the way that officer drove to get us there. But I was still in a feeling of feeling safe, though I felt like we were literally over cars and, mm -hmm. you know, like we were on the guardrails. I don't know how we got there in one piece. But we got to Highlands Hospital. And as we are driving up to that hospital, there was a sea of officers standing on each side of the driveway entrance area to the emergency room. And I never seen grown men cry before like this, not this many people. And people that I knew, faces that I knew, female officers, friends in uniform, not in uniform. I can see every single one of their faces and no one would look at me. And then um, when we parked there at the emergency room door, it was just like everything stopped. The door opens and it was Irvin's best friend, the best man at our wedding, who was also an officer there at Oakland. And the only words he said was, Nikki, he's dead. He didn't say, Irvin's dead. <laughs> he just said, he's dead. And of course I knew who the, who he meant. And I've got my, my 17 year old with me. That's though he's not my blood child. That's my son. Mm -hmm. And I just went into mama mode. You know, you just, something kind of protects you. I think that's God again, trying to just save you at that moment because all I think I probably wanted to do was just die right there too. But I had this young man standing there who literally drained to white when um, our friend told us that. And um, I know you probably know them, but um, I had some really good friends at the time who I had already called 
Manny and Martha Rivera from um, Sacramento County PD. I grew up with uh, their sister. So Manny's sister was literally my, my best, best friend and still is to this day. And my best friend, she was actually in San Diego at the time because she was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had been going back and forth with her, with her chemo treatments and really probably had only been home for probably 10 days at that point before Irvin was killed. So I had called Manny and Martha because I wanted, I knew they were going to hear on the hotline that some, you know, officers were down. So I had called them in the meantime to tell them it's not Irvin. He just left. Everything is good. Everything's okay. And they were like, besides my two brothers, one was El Dorado County Sheriff's at the time. And I had another brother retired from out of Sac County um, or who had left Sac County. Um, I called Manny and Martha next. And I told them what happened. And I, I know I was in that hospital for a little bit, but Manny and Martha got from Sacramento to be with me at Highlands Hospital in probably 45 minutes. And for anyone who knows the distance between Sacramento mm-hmm. and okay. Oakland, it's not a 45 minute drive. So um, that's how fast I had my blue family, my non-blood, but blood family, my s- sibling brothers, you know, with me. Um to be by my side and by Justin's side. Um, Irvin was um, covered up completely when I got there because my husband was shot in his face and they went through, it went through his, um, the front of his eye and blew out the back of his head. So I had my oldest brother confirm who it was. I didn't want to ever see him that way. So I never got to see my husband until his funeral service because I wanted him semi to what I remembered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, that never, that never happened. So um, having to tell my daughter in New Zealand, having to call my stepdaughter, Irvin's daughter, Christina, probably the second hardest thing you have to do, especially because the kids aren't there and you can't do it in person. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have other people tell them for me and um, just because I couldn't couldn't get the words out. Were all five officers shot that day? They were all at that same hospital? Yes. So, um, so one of the officers was actually shot through and through his shoulder and actually, I believe, also in his helmet. And he mm-hmm. survived, thank God. His wife had just had a baby too, so I can't even imagine that. But um, two officers were already down, like I said, motor officers. So those two were already there. One was put on life support and the other one was deceased. And then in the other rooms, and again, I don't know this. I just, I think and I'm just coming there because of Irvin. I totally forgot about the other two officers. And then you see all these rooms and all these officers standing at each room. And then the magnitude of what just happened, I'm like, what <laughs> just happened? And no, no one could even say it was just literally the worst day in history for this department and um, over 750 officers. And I think every single one of them was down on their knee that day. I mean, I, I, I know you've probably been to police funerals it's it's pretty hard it's it's very hard to see you know 
Yeah, I, I'm not going to tell my, any of my stories. If, if anyone wants to read those, it's in my yeah. book, through my yeah. eyes. This is your time to tell. Yeah, talk about you and your husband. But um, can you can you tell me and the listeners why it's important for you to tell your story to tell to tell us what you just you know talked about? Tell, why is it so important for you to keep telling this story? And, and how it helps others, especially now during National Police Week? One, um, I can go back to the small thing of Irvin calling me back up to the room to look at this um, video of Halo. <laughs> it was kind of like a premonition of all these little things to come up. I had always felt like at that point, because I was in such a great place finally in my life with a good person, like, I was living a no regrets type of life with Irvin and that's how we lived. And why I bring that up is that video halo of all things standing in the light of your halo. I've got my angel now and an hour and a half later, my husband is dead. Yeah, I, that's I have to go think that again, sometimes there are things just so out of our control and we will never understand them. And it's called life that I'm not trying to tell people who are widows in this world or um, I'm sorry, police officers, wives, that this is your fate, that these are things that could happen to you or your family. What I want them to take from this as police wives is that you have to learn that this is a job that is not up to them how it goes and that you do have to live the best day each day with them as much as possible. And when there's days at their home, you take advantage of those days and mm -hmm. you just love your, your cop. You just love your officer as much as you can because now though I'd have many police wife friends, I have more survivor widow friends now because I belong to a group of women and men who have lost their spouses in the line of duty. And we get together police week memorials to honor these men and women. And it's now up to me that I'm 11 years from that time that this happened, that I come back and that I sadly have my hands out to welcome these spouses and to let them know that they are not alone. That believe it or not, I have walked in your shoes. It might be a little slight detour on that journey of some things, but it's the same road. And I completely understand. And it wasn't until then when I had went to police week and met these survivors that there were someone else exactly like me that I could actually lean on and depend on and know that they would be there. Well, as I was going through this, um, police week is that time where we get to get together and honor those fallen officers, um, from the previous year into this new, um, year and those officers families and, um, they are there and I can only remember how I was. They're like deer in the headlights. They are just walking around numb 
they are walking around being guided from this and that and and until they i think connect with another real survivor that they're going oh my god and they almost like ex exhale when they meet one of us and um that police week is to honor and to show our respect for the officers who pass but for us survivors it's our way to honor the new families coming in and to give them that chance to exhale maybe one time since their their officer passed away and um, I know so many amazing um, widowed spouses that do this regardless of what's going on in their life just to be there for these other new survivors. Mm -hmm. And um, um, it, it, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing support group. Yeah. So National Police Week, this is a very important week. Obviously, we remember the fallen all the time, every day throughout the year. But this is a very special time that we come together and recognize the yeah. those those who have who have fallen, serving their communities, just serving, you know, doing what they what they were called to do. So, so the story you just told us is in the book Behind and Beyond the Badge, again written by retired law enforcement officer Donna Brown. So those of you listening, if you'd like to um, grab that book, it is on Amazon. Now, we're not going to have time to go into your story further, but you are remarried, correct? To Officer Tyler Hall? Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. So, so Donna Brown also wrote a story, well, Officer Tyler Hall's story, and it is in that same book. But is it in part two or is it in volume mm -hmm. one? It's in volume one where different chapters okay. okay, and she started it with his chapter first because of her um, knowing, you know, Tyler. Okay. And it was another officer actually in the department that said, you have to contact Tyler because wow, does he have a story? Wow. Um, and that story real quick is Tyler's cousin was also killed in the line of duty. Okay. One month before my husband Oh, wow. Okay. And so Tyler got money. Interesting. Yeah. So that's in the story. Yes. Yeah, so, so all of you people listening <laughs> right now, go get Behind and Beyond the Badge, written by retired law enforcement officer Donna Brown. And you can hear, or I'm sorry, you can read Officer Tyler Hall's story in that book, as well as Nicole. You can read <laughs> her story as well. But I want to thank you for coming on my podcast and being my guest. It's very difficult to talk about this this story, I'm sure. Um, you had me in tears. I had to <clears throat> pause a few times and mute, <laughs> mute, <laughs> mute my yes. uh, thing. So, but thank you. I really, really appreciate you coming on. You have a great story. I'm glad um, you told how you guys met. I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And um, I'm glad that you found love again with, thank with you. Tyler. So I appreciate um, that. Thank you. And I appreciate welcome. you letting me um, say Irvin's name and to keep my Sergeant Irvin Roman's name in God's light. So thank you. Absolutely. I know that we only read the names of the prior years, but yes, yeah, say it, say his name again. <laughs> Sergeant Irvin Romans. Yeah. He passed away March 21st, 2009, serving his community in Oakland, California. Thank you, Nicole, for telling your story. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you.
National Police Week is a time where we recognize and remember law enforcement officers who have lost their lives in the line of duty while serving their communities. Please join me for a moment of silence. Thank you for joining me in this moment of silence. I'll see you next week. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.